The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Uh, this morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, the first nine verses, just to kind of introduce the book of uh, 1 Peter. And uh, the title of the sermon is Remember You Are Sons of God. And we say that because in the context that, that this book begins, P- Peter is writing to some people who are undergoing some severe persecution and hardships. And yet he is encouraging them to realize that God is everything they need. In our country, we have a movement called the uh, the Name It and Claim It movement or the Prosperity Gospel. And it's the idea that the things that you really need, you have to get through uh, possessions and and uh, things like that, and that that God wants you to be happy. And so what you have to do is simply trust him, and he will provide these things. But what this passage shows is these people, even though they were on the run, they were called aliens. They couldn't, they weren't, uh, they weren't citizens and they had no rights. And, and yet they're just, they're going here and there because they're being persecuted. And what gives them real significance and security is their relationship with God himself, that he is their father. And so that's what this passage is about. I'm going to read to you the, the passage itself. This is the way it goes. He opens the letter this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. That means they are not citizens. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead. Now what you, what you see there is he says, this is one of those passages that there's been a lot of uh, discussion of and argument about and disagreement and so forth. And that is because he is saying the way he is connecting foreknowledge with elect, with God choosing people, it almost sounds like uh, God foreknows people and therefore he learns things about them so that he wants to choose them because they have these certain qualities. That's not what this word means. The word foreknowledge here uh, means foreloved. In fact, it's interesting. I, I used to teach a class on uh, theology proper and one of the things we did is we looked at this word and all the words throughout the whole Bible that had to do with uh, knowing someone. And this, the word that's used here has the idea of knowing someone as a dear and close companion. And um, so he, when he says foreknowledge, he's talking about foreloving. For example, the fourth chapter of Genesis, it says, in the King James, it, say, uh, it says uh, this, it says that, that uh, Adam had relations with his wife and she became pregnant. However, what the text actually says is, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. Because the word know is used predominantly of loving. It's knowing someone in such a way that you love them, you care about them. It isn't that God discovered something about us. He is omniscient. He knows all things. It's that he came to know us as persons. He came to set his love upon us. So when it says foreknowledge, it means foreloved. He put his love upon us. And that's how we became his chosen people. The word chosen is also used, we use it today, this this word that's translated chosen, to describe certain kinds of building materials. They're 
if you if you get to select redwood, you're getting the best redwood there is. And so this is kind of what he's talking about. You're being chosen because God sees you as an in, as an important part of his community, his family. He is our father and we are his sons. And this whole idea of sonship is an amazing thing because God doesn't just adopt us and bring us in uh, close to him, but he actually makes us members of his family and he treats us as family. And if you remember Jesus, when he was teaching his, his disciples said, teach us to pray. And so he said, pray like this, our father in heaven. And the reason he did that was because we need to understand when we're talking to God that this is our father. Uh, we we don't have a, a contingency upon our relationship. Our relationship is based upon God's doing. He foreloved us. He chose us. He brought us into the family. And then you notice the whole triune God is involved in this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope is the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and therefore our expectation that he's going to fulfill his promises are of such that it's called the living hope. We earnestly expect him to fulfill all of his promises to us. He goes on to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. How's that? We have an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, this is the fulfillment of this salvation that we have received, the first fruits of now. But one of these days, we're going to enter into the presence of God and experience the fullness of our salvation. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Because he's speaking to Christians that are on the run. They're being persecuted. They're being chased down. And yet they have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And so he wants them to know you are greatly blessed, even though you are going through difficult times. And he's going to explain that these difficult times are given to them for a purpose by God. The next line says, so that the proof of your faith or the approved part of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. Now, what he's doing is comparing the testing of your faith, the refining of your faith with the refining of gold. The way gold would be refined is it would be put over heat. And when it would melt down, then they would strain out all the impurities and they would let it harden again. And he says, this is the way our faith is tested by fire, by the fiery experiences we go through. And these are difficulties that they are facing because they have no home. They're on the move. They're constantly moving and wandering around trying to find a place where they can settle. And though you have not seen him, you love him. That is, you haven't seen Jesus Christ yet, but you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Let me just give you a a little opinion on this. The, The idea of soul in the scripture is that capacity in man to feel deeply emotions. God created us so that we can feel life. We can feel the blessedness of knowing God. And so he says here that knowing him fills your heart with joy because you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Your souls are being set free, and you can experience deep and profound emotion like you couldn't before. And this is one of the marks of salvation. And because we are persons, 
created in the image of God, we have legitimate personal needs. Now, these people are on the run, and so this would especially speak to them. Uh, significance and security are two things that psychologists talk a lot about because they have, they have come to see that this is something that people really need, and if they don't have it, if they don't have significance and security, life is very, very difficult. Significance means knowing my life has meaning. And security means knowing I am accepted as someone who is worthwhile. Ab and Eve found this in their relationship with God. God came and walked with them in the cool of the evening. And it was through their relationship with him that they experienced this kind of significance and security. Now, the prosperity gospel says almost the opposite. It tells us that our problem is a lack of faith. That's why the movement is sometimes called name it and claim it. And it just means that you need to understand some things. First, The first premise is God wants to bless his children by faith. The second premise is health, wealth, and status and success are always a blessing. And so, therefore, you have to have those things in order for you to be blessed like you should be blessed. And the conclusion is, if I have faith, I will be blessed with health, wealth, status, and success. One of the tragic things in the world has been that that message— has penetrated uh, the, the gospel work throughout the world, like in Africa, for example, and in places that there's great destitution, and they actually have come to believe that a, a, a gospel preacher should be able to bless them with the kind of blessing they need to have significance and security. But he tells them, they, he's telling them that these people are aliens. That is, their earthly status because of their identification in Christ is that they're not citizens. They're traveling the world trying to find the place that God wants them to be. They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he says. That is, God loved them in time, in eternity past. He set his love upon them. And by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, what he's doing here is he's telling us that election is a work of the triune God. The Father foreknows you or foreloves you would be a better way to say it. Uh, you are chosen by the, the Spirit who is sanctifying you, setting you apart for the person of Christ, and then to obey Jesus Christ, that is to trust him, to believe him, and to be sprinkled with his blood, to, ex- to experience the reception of the means of salvation, which is the, the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So election is triune. It's a work of the triune Godhead. The Father foreknows us. The Spirit sanctifies us. The Son uh, sprinkles his sprinkles us with his blood, which is just a picture of forgiveness. Our sins are forgiven, and this is why God loves us and He blesses us in this way. So, what does it mean to be God's chosen one? Uh, he says it means to be foreknown, which means foreloved. Now, it's really fascinating. What I used to do is put on a screen every every place that the word love was used in the Old Testament, and we discovered that the great majority of places, the word behind it was the word for know, to know. It means you are, uh, these people were aliens in this fallen world. They had no home to go to. They had no citizenship, and they were aliens, temporary sojourners, not permanent settlers in a land. They didn't own homes. They didn't have possessions. Those who have a deeper attachment and a higher allegiance to another country are living in a different country. And they are called strangers in verse 11. Those who have, that's chapter 2, verse 11. Those who have a legal status as non-citizens became the common expression for a Christian community. In fact, the word perish 
which is used by Catholics and, and uh, other particular groups, is talking about the community of believers that, that are a part of a local church. And uh, this, the word parish, is a, it comes from this word, strangers. They are living outside of their home place. Their home is heaven, and they're not going to be at home completely until they are in his presence. But this became a common expression for a Christian community, a parish, a community of people away from their homeland. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, it talks about the, the attitude of Jesus Christ and how he humbled himself completely in order to serve the Father and to love us. Um, it's, it's the attitude of an alien. This is temporary, but he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. I'm sorry, this is Paul writing to the Philippians about the fact that they wanted to bless him with a gift. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. That is an amazing claim, isn't it? I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes that verse is used for something like, Oh, I can be a world-famous baseball player through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that I have the power to live in any kind of circumstance and and have contentment because I know that I am God's child. I'm living within his will and his purpose. I can do all things through, through him who strengthens me, which is Christ. So we are a scattered people. In fact, in Matthew 28, where you have the Great Commission, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, he's saying, go everywhere and anywhere in the whole world and make disciples who will follow me. And he says it in a very funny way because he says, as you go, you are to make disciples. And, and this is just a circumstantial thing. As you are going, you should make disciples. You're being, going to be scattered like a seed. And as you are scattered, you make disciples. And so what, what we are, when we're talking about God foreknowing us, we're talking about God setting his affection upon us before time began. The, the origin of your election. So if you want to get angry about it, get angry with God and tell him that you're, you don't like the fact that he set his love upon you in eternity past, because that's what it says. The word for foreknow is, is the Greek word prognosis. It sounds familiar to us because it's a word that doctors use. A prognosis is seeing something at the present time that you won't know for sure until certain tests are passed. But they, they make a prognosis. Uh, in this context, in Romans 28, 28 through 30, the, the, it talks about foreknowledge. And the form of the word here and there both is, it's, it is an action word. It's a verb, an act of God. It's not omniscience. It's not that he knows everything or that he learns something about you. It is that he has come to love you. Not coming to know something about a person, but coming to know the person themselves. The meaning of the word in, in Genesis and and elsewhere, in fact, you can see these these places, Genesis 18, Hosea 13, Amos 3, 1 Corinthians 8, 
Galatians 4, 2 Timothy 2. It's this word uh, for know, and it means love. And this is what he's talking about. It's talking about God for loving us. He loved us before the foundation of the world. And God foreknew us in that sense, that he came to love us. So we are those whom God has foreloved. It means the Holy Spirit is conforming you into the image of Christ. Not No one else is able to do that. There's nobody else that can conform you into the image of Christ. Not your spouse, not your friends, not your church, not your pastor. Only the Holy Spirit. He's able to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. No one else is able to do it. Now, this is the nature of your election. It is, it is found in the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He is drawing you to Christ. You become more and more a Christian. Why do we, you remember that it was in Antioch that the, that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, which means little Christ. What he's talking about is that we're becoming more and more like Christ as we follow him and as we attach ourselves to him. This is God's purpose in our life. Uh, he wants to conform us because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, what that that phrase means is God wants his family to be huge. He wants G- Jesus to be the the elder brother of a multitude of people who have come to faith in him. Trials are to be expected and even appreciated, we're told in Galatians 1. You are God's chosen because God set his affection on you. Uh, and you have revived your concern. In what, he, what, what Paul says to the Galatians, you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. So the Holy Spirit is conforming us even through our trials and our troubles. Sometimes we wonder, why would God allow this? Why would God allow this pandemic? Pandemic. Why would, why do we have to go through this? I mean, after all, isn't the most important thing in the world that churches are able to meet in their church building? No, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, is that we come to know Christ. And guess what? You can know Christ by meeting in your own home with brothers and sisters in Christ. No one else is able to do this. It's the nature of your election. It's in the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit wants you to be set apart to Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit's role to, is to unleash His power to fulfill God's purpose in your life. And nobody else can do that. So he says in Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Like you become like your, older, your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is what he is talking about. So uh, these trials are, expect, are to be expected and appreciated. These are not surprises to, to us. We know that we're going to experience trials. You are God's chosen because God set his affection on you uh, so that you have revived your concern for his, his children that are all around you. So it means the Holy Spirit is conforming you into the image of Christ. You're becoming like him. When you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, you read that Jesus Christ was an unusual person. He loved people. And he loved people that didn't deserve to be loved. He never, he never weighed out whether they were worthy to receive his love and his affection and his blessings. He loved people. It's the Spirit's role to unleash his power to fulfill God's purpose in your life. 
That's what he is there for. And uh, God foreknew us, he foreloved us, and therefore we are being changed. Trials are to be expected and appreciated, not just expected, but appreciated. That God's doing something in me. He is refining my faith. The Spirit's transforming work is the purpose of your election. It's unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the human response. Uh, we obey Jesus Christ. That's the characteristic of a, Christ, of a Christian. Sprinkling is the divine response made, which made you clean, the washing of regeneration. How can you get your personal needs met? To be exiled from culture? How can you know you need your need for security and significance will always be met? Through human relationships, through health, wealth, status, success, and wonderful. Now, those are wonderful things, actually, but even if you gain them, they can never meet the real need of your heart. Only a relationship with the living God can meet all your needs. He wants you to rest in him, not in what he is able to give you. If you've never experienced a relationship with him, you can, you can right now at this moment. Simply come to him with empty hands. That is, you don't bring anything that is your merit. Not coming to do something for God. I am coming to receive something from you. That's to be our attitude. The Spirit's work will be evident. Remember Jesus' words in John sixteen seven. He said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, now they, no doubt they thought, what are you talking about? We can't live without you. And he says, the helper, if I, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he has come. He has come to apply the work of Christ to our lives so that we experience the saving work that Jesus came and died for us to accomplish. So as we go through the letter of 1 Peter, we should remember that we're aliens and we're in exile as they were. And we should pay attention to what God can do through the Holy Spirit. Remember the words of Jesus in John sixteen seven. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're told in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, that we have the Holy Spirit and that every single believer, if you have Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit and he is there to conform you into the image of Christ, to make you like Christ. So as we go through this letter, this is what we should be thinking about. How can I come to experience the depth of the work of the Spirit for which God chose me? He actually chose me, set his affection on me so that I would experience this. And he says, if it's, that's why it's good for you that I go away, for I will send the Spirit to you. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the person who can conform you to his image and fill your heart with joy and fill your heart with significance and security because it's a relationship with the living God that produces that, and nothing else will. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great, great promises that you've given us, and your promises are based upon your character. We trust your promises because we trust you. We believe that you're going to do exactly what you say because of who you are. And so, Father, we, we come before you now and bow our hearts and ask you, that you would move deeply in our hearts and draw us to yourself. Change us, make us like Christ, we pray. We pray that we would come to be people who are, are tools in your hands. We thank you so much, Father, for your love for us and for your calling us to this great, great work. And we thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.